because of the sins of the nation of Judah and because they would not correct themselves, God sent them into captivity for 70 years to serve the nation of Babylon. Daniel was a man of God, but he was with those of the captivity. God gave Daniel gifts of interpretation of dreams, and when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a dream that troubled him because Daniel, through God, could interpret that dream, Nebuchadnezzar appointed Daniel as one of the high rulers of the kingdom of Babylon. So even in captivity, Daniel rose to the top of the nation. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar was raised up by God to defeat Jerusalem and take the children of Judah into captivity in Babylon. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with a part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpens, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but they were well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning, in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Haniah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, 
I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. So the prince of the eunuchs is saying to Daniel, If you fail to eat the meat and the drink provided by the king, you will grow leaner and you will be less favorable looking than the others that are in the captivity. And it will endanger me, says the prince of the eunuchs. Then Daniel said, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink for ten days and see what we look like. Will we look worse than the ones who eat the meat of the king? So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. They even looked better than the ones who had eaten the king's meat. In 1975, when I was born again, my best friend said to me, Joni, you have to go to church. And I said, I do? And she said, yes. So I went to the church that she and her husband attended. It was a small non-denominational church in Dallas called Believer's Chapel. I would say in doctrine, this church was somewhere between Church of Christ and Baptist in doctrine. Their pastors were teachers, professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. When I first started attending that church, the pastor was leading a seminar on the subject of speaking in tongues and how tongues are of the devil. I didn't think anything about it. I didn't know what the Bible said about tongues. I don't remember ever hearing anyone talk about the subject of tongues. But this man was teaching that tongues were of the devil. I attended his seminar, but I don't remember anything he taught except that one thing. I wanted nothing to do with tongues. I certainly didn't want anything to do with anything that was of the devil. I'm now born again. But I didn't question at all what he was teaching until I read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 concerning the gathering of the church and what we are supposed to do when we come together as the church. And when I read this, I saw that that which this man was teaching us was opposite to what the Bible said. Start at Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14, 
Paul is going to tell us what we're supposed to do when we come together in the New Testament church. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together? Every one of you hath a psalm, psalms or prayers, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Paul was saying that when we come together, the Holy Spirit speaks through whom he wills. And everything that he speaks will be edifying to the church and build the church. It could be a correction and still be edifying because by correcting ourselves, we set ourselves on the right path of God and turn to God through correction. So once again, starting with verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together? Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. On Wednesday nights, sometimes it was like this. People gave their testimonies of what God had done for them, and it was very exciting. But for the most part, it was not set up this way in the churches that I attended, which were mostly Baptist Church of Christ, non-denominational type Christian churches. Only a few people spoke, and it became more like a presentation rather than something led by the Spirit of God. Verse 27, Paul says, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Then down at the bottom of the chapter 14, Paul said, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Well, at the church I was attending, not only would they have forbidden anyone to speak with tongues, but they were teaching that tongues are of the devil. When I read that, I was very shocked because I knew they were teaching the opposite to that which was written in the New Testament Bible. And immediately I knew I would not go back to that church again. I told my best friend about this. I said, did you know Paul said, forbid not to speak with tongues? We were driving down the highway at the minute I told her that, and she said she pulled off the road and parked at the side of the road and said, let me see that, for she knew that I had in my purse a small New Testament. So I pulled it out and turned to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39, and she read it, and she said, it does say that. And I said, yes, it does. So she said, let's go to my house and we will look in all the translations of the Bible 
that I have at my house, and we'll see what it says. And I said, fine. So we did. In every translation that she had of the Bible, it said, don't forbid anyone to speak with tongues. So she said, well, I'm not going back to that church either. Briefly, I attended Beverly Hills Baptist, which was a very, very large Baptist church, about 3,000 people. I didn't go there very long, but then I had a friend who was attending Word of Faith in Farmer's Branch, which is just north of Dallas, and I followed her to this church, Word of Faith. I went with her and her husband to that church. I went to the singles class as well as the regular 11 o'clock service, and I attended all the special services. There was one thing that troubled me, and that was they allowed a man, he was the teacher of our singles class, he was a divorced man, and he had one child who lived in California, and he didn't see her. And he was divorced from his wife, and he didn't have a wife, and he didn't have other children. From my early time in Church of Christ, they gave the rules concerning what an elder must be. He must be the husband of one wife, and he must have multiple children, and those children must demonstrate that they are under the control of God. So I knew that. And here he was without multiple children and divorced and had no wife. So I knew it was wrong for him to be an elder. But I was a very new Christian. And though I knew this was wrong, I allowed it to slip away. It's very important to go by what the Bible says at the church you attend. Titus chapter 1. Paul says to Titus in verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop, elder and bishop is the same thing, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, upholding the faithful words, as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to both exhort and convince the gainsayers. An elder must be the husband of one wife having faithful children. 
Also, in another section of scripture, it says, For if a man know not how to rule over his own house, how shall he rule over the house of God? So his own house, his own family, his wife and children are examples of his ability to rule over his own house, thus putting him in a position to rule over the house of God. But here I was confronted at word of faith with a man who wasn't even married, a divorced man, who only had one child, and he didn't see her. So we had no proof that he could rule over the house of God. No biblical proof. Now, it's much stronger to me today than it was then. I just knew at that time that this was not what they taught at the Church of Christ. Later, it was discovered that this man was not only unmarried, he was committing fornication, and he was picking up women at bars and having sex with those women. And he was the teacher of our Bible class. When I found out that, I went to him and asked him, is it true that you're having sexual intercourse with this woman that is said to be your girlfriend? And he said to me, of course. And I said, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can have nothing more to do with you. And he said, that's right. He didn't care. Now, the scripture on that subject is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, starting in verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. If a man who is called a brother in Christ is committing fornication, Paul says he's a wicked person. Put him away from you. Certainly I couldn't go to this man's Sunday school class any longer or his Tuesday night special Bible class. I couldn't even associate with him at church eating the word of God with him. And I said, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you anymore. And he simply said, that's right. And that's the tone of voice he said it in, as if he really didn't care. So I had to depart from him and his Bible class. And God gave me a dream which brought me out of word of faith, so I could no longer attend that. I thought God would put me back in another church immediately, but he didn't. It seems logical that we go to church. And I want to be around the people of God, so I especially wanted to go to church. And through the years, I would go to a church looking for good, not for evil, but seeing evil through their doctrines that they had set up in their 
churches. As an example, on a Wednesday night, I went to a small non-denominational church, and the pastor teaching it was teaching from John chapter 8, where they had taken the woman in adultery, and they brought her for judgment before Jesus. And he said, and when they brought this woman in, she was naked from the waist up. I was just shocked. I looked around the room at the people, and not one of them was reaching for a Bible to read John chapter 8 to prove the doctrine that the pastor had just spoken. I looked at the faces of some of the men, and they had very big, lustful smiles on their faces. I knew they were picturing this woman being naked from the waist up. But I took my Bible and read immediately the passage of Scripture in John chapter 8, which tells the story of the woman taken in adultery. Starting at verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again unto the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said tempting Jesus, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw that none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. She couldn't continue to commit adultery as she had been doing. Go and sin no more. And the thing that I saw in this situation is that pastor had caused lasciviousness to come upon the congregation. And he had caused men to lust in their hearts, picturing a woman naked from the waist up, which was not in the Bible. 
I called him the next day and I told him I had been in his meeting the night before when he spoke about the woman taken in adultery. And I told him that I could not find any place in the Bible where it said this woman was naked from the waist up as he had preached the night before. And I asked him where this is in the Bible that says this. And he said to me, well, I just can't remember right now where it is. And I said to him, well, it's very important for me to know this, so please, would you look it up and tell your secretary where it is and have her call me and tell me. And with that, he became very angry, and he shouted at me, All right, it's not in the Bible. Where do you go to church? Well, the point was, I was looking for a church to attend, but I couldn't attend a church where the pastor added things to the Bible and caused lust this way to come upon the men in the congregation. When he knew that was not in the Bible, he had just made it up. So, of course, I never attended that church again. The next Sunday morning, I went to another non-denominational church, and the pastor was teaching the Sunday school class, which was about the subject of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Hagar, her handmaiden. And the pastor said, and Sarah and Hagar were half-sisters. Well, I was shocked because I, I'd never read that before in the Bible, and I'd never heard anyone preach that before. So the next day I called his pastor. Of course, I read all the scriptures about Sarah and Hagar in the Old Testament, and there was no mention of Hagar being a half-sister to Sarah. Hagar was, I think it said she was an Egyptian, and here she was the maid to Sarah. And I was just sure that they were not half-sisters. A children of Israel who is forbidden to keep company with the heathens? So I called that pastor and told him I'd been in his service that Sunday morning. And I asked him where it is in the Bible that tells that Sarah and Hagar are half-sisters. And he said the exact words that the other pastor had said. Well, I just can't remember right now where it is in the Bible. And I said, well, please, would you look it up and tell your secretary where it is and have her call me? And he became angry. And he yelled out over the phone, all right, it's not in the Bible. He knew it wasn't in the Bible. He tried to get past me by saying, I can't remember where it is in the Bible. But the Holy Spirit was leading me in what I said to him. And that is, would you look it up and please have your secretary call me and tell me. I was grieved. Neither of these pastors repented. And both of them knew they were telling things that were not in the Bible to their congregations. But there was no repentance. There was no sorrow. There was no statement like, oh, 
I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That's not in the Bible. There was none of that. They tried to bluff, and they tried to cover up what they had done. And I was deeply grieved. Why didn't they repent? I couldn't understand it. I went to a Baptist church in Clovis, New Mexico, where I was living at that time. And at that church, the pastor was doing and saying things and leaving things out of the Bible in the, in the scripture he was teaching. And I went to him after the Sunday night service and told him I felt I needed to talk to, to him. And I pointed out to him that he was leaving this out as he spoke to the congregation. Jesus had said, these things come not out, but by prayer and fasting. And he was saying, these things come not out, but by prayer. And he left off and fasting. And he became very angry with me. He said, I've been doing this 23 years and I know what I'm doing. Well, again, I was grieved. Here was a pastor that was leaving something out of a scripture which he was teaching to his congregation, deliberately leaving it out. He had no sorrow and he had no repentance. I didn't know what was going on, but I had this happen multiple times. I would try to go to church and the pastor would be saying things that were not in the Bible or leaving things out that were in the Bible. And this was in the mid-1990s, mid to late 1990s, and I just couldn't find a church to attend. I moved to Lubbock, Texas, and I tried to find a church there. And I was ran into exactly the same problem. And I was just bewildered. But I was quite sure that I was not going to partake of services where the pastor deliberately removed parts of scripture when he was teaching a subject or deliberately added his own thoughts to parts of scripture as if those thoughts were in the Bible. I wasn't going to partake of that. Just like Daniel did not partake of the meat of the king. He did not want to defile himself. I had that in my heart. I did not want to defile myself by going to a church service and hearing things like this. And by that time, I had gotten to the point that I knew enough scripture that I was asking these pastors, where is that in the Bible that you spoke to us, the congregation? And I saw what they did. I saw their anger. I saw the pride. I saw the wrongdoing. So I didn't try to find any other churches to go to. And in approximately 2017, God explained it to me that what I had been seeing all of these years when I tried to find a church to attend, Antichrist was working in those churches. Antichrist changes doctrine, removes doctrine that he doesn't want, sets up doctrine opposite from the doctrine of Christ. And God took me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 to show me 
that Antichrist is working in today's churches and that before Jesus comes, the apostasy takes place in the churches. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. In 1982, when I was reading this same verse of Scripture, God said to me, The falling away are not people leaving the church groups. The falling away are the church groups leaving the scriptures. Verse 4, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Antichrist comes into the churches, Doctrine is changed from the Bible and other doctrines are set up and the church falls away from many of the doctrines of the Bible. And their eventual fate is shown us in verse 8 through 12. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. When Jesus comes, these apostate churches will be destroyed. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Those who love the scriptures and cling to the scriptures will recognize that these doctrines are wrong that are being taught by the Antichrist in the apostate church. And they will do the same thing, the ones who love the truth, will do the same things I have done over and over and over, and that is leave that church group where Antichrist is ruling, where their pastors are speaking things that are not in the Bible, adding things to the Bible, also eliminating doctrines that are in the Bible that he does not want to follow, such as Matthew 5, 32, where it says, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I've never heard that taught at a church. They just never mention that. And yet they perform wedding ceremonies where they allow men to marry divorced women. But Jesus says in Matthew 5.32, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So things like that are going on in those apostate churches today where they eliminate the doctrines that they don't like. Either they just never mention those doctrines or they explain them away. You're not going to grow stronger spiritually 
by going along with false doctrine. Daniel would not partake of the meat of the king and defile himself. And I had the same thing in my heart. I'm not going to be in this church group if they're speaking doctrines that are opposite to what I read in the Bible. So I never could stay in those groups. I had to leave as soon as the false doctrine surfaced. Reading once again from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.